Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church, where we talk about the intersection between Christ Church and the contemporary culture around us. All right, welcome, listener, to uh, the first episode of Crossroads, a podcast from Christ Prez. Um, if you're a seasoned listener on this channel, then you've probably heard conversations hosted by William Skinner and Eric Zellner. And so this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's actually going to be the start of a new new season um, where we're going to be talking about crossroads between culture and Christ Church. So living in a college town or living in a, any type of area that is remotely urban, you come into people with lots of different thought processes, lots of ways of seeing the world, many different worldviews, dozens of different worldviews on a day-to-day basis. And we want to look at some of those things. So that's why we've entitled this Crossroads. And so our mission moving forward um, is to release a couple of these every month and talking about different ways that we see our church intersecting with culture and how we can bring the gospel to those areas. So with me today is Wayne Alderman. Uh, Wayne, you want to introduce yourself? Sure, Josh. I, I'm Wayne Alderman. I am an accounting professor by training and background here at Auburn. Uh, I went to Auburn in the early 70s, uh, got an accounting degree. I then uh, worked with uh, Ernst & Young, which is a big four firm, uh, in Birmingham, got my CPA, went back and got my PhD, and then I came back to Auburn in 1979 as an accounting professor. And uh, so I've been at Auburn a long time, worked with a lot of students. The uh, accounting, I've been an accounting professor, but I've also uh, done a good number of administrative roles. I've been the... Uh, head of the School of Accountancy. I was dean of the business school in the 1990s for eight years. And then most recently, I was dean of enrollment services, which is the wow. undergraduate admissions. It's quite the resume. Yeah, well, been, I, I still say they're trying to find something that I can do. But, <laughs> but, uh, um, but I've been around Auburn a long time. And, uh, uh, but my, my background and my, <clears throat> my personal interests are really in the field of accounting, which may scare some people, but uh, but I enjoy it. Uh, in the mid-'80s, I took a leave of absence from Auburn to work at the American Institute of CPAs and uh, <clears throat> in New York City, so I was right in Midtown Manhattan for a year, so that was uh, quite the change from the loveliest village. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So talk about a little bit of your church background and how you've been involved in church sure. leadership. Yeah, I, uh, I was for many years— uh, my wife and I were members at uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Opelika, which is it's, it's a great church. I was a elder there for probably 20-something years. Uh, the, the Presbytery wanted to start a, another uh, church in Auburn, uh, Christ Pres, and we started the church in the summer of 2018. And the, at that time, they asked for, you know, some if we, we wanted to get some key families to help begin the church. And so... My wife and I uh, transferred from Trinity Prison, Opelika, to Christ Prison, Auburn, and I've been an elder there since since the church started, actually. So. Yeah, absolutely. Integral piece to the uh, Christ Pres machine That's right. uh, that is uh, ho- trying to function well and still get off the ground as a church plant. Yeah. So if they're very thankful to have you, Wayne. And uh, if you've graduated from Auburn or you're listening this uh, to this as an Auburn student, you can thank him for your admission. Uh, you can thank him for the business school being maybe the best school on campus, in my opinion. Don't hurt me, engineering students, but it's just my thoughts. Uh, but anyway, so myself, I am Josh Anders. I am a uh, full-time technology consultant, and you might be wondering why I'm on a church podcast. Uh, I'm also a part-time seminary student. Love that. Uh, thanks, thankful to Wayne's influence for pointing me towards um, sound theology and, and, and biblical 
uh, ideologies while I was in college. Um, if if you've been in Auburn a long time and you know you grew up and in the business school or in, in the church world, you probably had lunch with Wayne at some point. He probably took you to Bazilia's or something like that mm-hmm. and had a great sandwich my, and my talked about the place. Lord. Uh, absolutely. So very thankful to Wayne for being here and thankful for his leadership. So just uh, this, this first episode, we're going to be talking about something that is incredibly prevalent today and has been really, uh, really an integral piece in our country in terms of philosophy and worldview since the start of the century. And that is something that we'll, we'll term postmodernism or postmodernity. Um, these terms are kind of interchangeable with how we'll talk about relativity and subjectivity. Um, at the core of postmodernism, basically, it's a philosophy that at its very, very core, um, denies objective truth, denies the ability of um, any reader to accurately know um, author- authorial intent. Um, so basically, what postmodernism does is it transfers power from the author of a book to the reader of a book because it denies the ability to interpret anything correctly. So if I read scripture, say I'm reading the book of James, I actually have no ability to know what James was doing. So the only thing that can make sense is to interpret it the way that feels best to me. And this is the predominant philosophy in, uh, in our culture today still, um, and it's manifesting itself in many types of different critical theories, gender studies, um, critical approaches to the Bible, critical race theory, all these sorts of things, um, hot button items that you might hear all have their background in postmodernity. So that's why we're talking about this. It's obviously a huge crossroad, so why not start our crossroads series with one of the biggest ones that's prevailing in the church today. So... Uh, Wade, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a history of how you think we got to this point in terms of being such a relativistic culture where we're only talking about the individual? seems like we're only thinking that the individual can really come up with anything that could be true, but it's actually not true. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting being at Auburn you know, for quite some time and, and uh, observing students over the years, the um, – you know, in many human beings are human beings, and so in in many ways we don't change. But but the culture changes, and the culture has an influence on us. And um, just watching students over the years, that you know, there's just there are there are differences today than there were say 35 years ago. Uh, probably the first one is the students today are much more sensitive. Uh, their feelings are much more important. Um, you know. All, all of us are sensitive, uh, but but it's it's such a driving force with students today. And, and you know, just to give you an example, when I taught in the 1980s, let's say I uh, assigned a homework problem, and <clears throat> in class I may ask a student their answer to the homework. If that student had not done the homework, I would, um, you know, I would I would I would make a comment about it, like, well, you know. Uh, John, if you haven't done the homework, then you know you're, you're going to have problems. Yeah. Shocking. <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't do that today. Okay, uh, if in the early '80s, if I did that, a student, uh, the other students would look at that student and say, "Well, yeah, mm. you know, if you don't do the homework, you don't, you yeah. know, you get a there's grade. a penalty. Yeah. There's a penalty for that." Uh, if I did that today, I think other students, instead of looking at that student, would look at me. And say that's really cruel. Yeah, you know, that's really hard. Um, <clears throat> so, so feelings are much more important, much much more subjective. Uh, that's so. That's one change. The other, the other change, I think, is the um, the whole idea that uh, that uh, um, 
about relationships and about friendships. Uh, uh, students today are much, much, uh, much less personal. They think they're very personal. Mm. You know, <clears throat> pro probably most of our students would tell me that you know thousands of friends they have, uh, but uh, but it's really. Really, I think for students, uh, you know, a much lonelier world. It's not as uh, it's not as personal. And, and to give you an example, there just for teaching, once again, um, the number of students who would come by my office to to visit, to ask questions about uh, homework, to ask questions about uh, careers. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you get very few these days. Wow. Thirty years ago, you got most of the class, and so. I think there's just not as much of a, there's just not as much of a personal relationship. Um, it's just, uh, um, just uh, more tied to the individual and their own, much, yeah. much, much more individual. So, so you know, feelings are more important, much more individual, um, uh, that kind of thing. So, so there, there've been big changes. Yeah, yeah. So, what would you say, you know, has led to that type of of approach to kind of the modern millennial? Well, you know, one of the things you and I are going to talk about here is just the history of all this, and uh, we can get that get to that in a minute. But uh, if you look at um, if you look at our culture, I think in, our culture says that the problem is outside of us. Mm. Oh man, absolutely. And the solution is within us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. When we see problems, uh, and there are problems, you know, there's lots of problems. When we when we see problems, uh, where there's you know, treatment of the poor, uh, the environment, whatever, uh, we see these problems, and we think the solution is we we can do better. Okay, and we can. Uh, it may be it may be passing laws. It may be um, just in, internal wishes or desires, but we can do better. Um, <clears throat> that's not what the gospel says. You know, the, the, gospel, the gospel says the problem is not outside of us. The mm. problem is inside of Absolutely. us. And the, the problem is sin. And uh, the solution is outside of us. The solution is Christ. Uh, yeah. And um, so I think even for Christian students at Auburn, and you know, Auburn has a lot of Christian students, I think they don't realize um, how much they're affected by the culture. Uh, Wayne, Wayne, how many conversations with someone have you had about maybe something political or specifically theology mm -hmm. where they say, well, to me, that verse means something different? Oh, yeah. That happens all the time. All the time. Yeah. Right. Uh, so there's just the whole idea. There's not, uh, once again, going back, it's, it's all personal. It's all feelings. It's all relative. Um, and, and, you know. If if you think about original sin, what uh, what how did Satan tempt Eve? You know, he said, you know, you you can be like God, or did God really say such and such? And um, and and so we you know so we're born with it, you know, and we're born we're born. With we want to be the captains of our we own fate from the birth. Exactly. I think, so, therefore, I am. We just want to be. That's right. Yep, that's our desire. Yeah, no, that's good. There's one very sobering quote from a, a professor from Cornell named Jonathan Culler, and he's a he's a leading uh, critical scholar, um, and he teaches lots of different literary courses at Cornell. But he said, since no reading can escape criticism, every reading is a misreading. So if you think about that in terms of the church, no reading can escape can escape criticism. Mm -hmm. So what he's doing is actually 
absolutizing, absolutizing relativism. Right. He's saying that relativism is absolute, that you cannot escape it. And if that's true for just how we read, if that's true for just our hermeneutic for any book, not even just scripture, but any book, how can I even be sure that Harry Potter is about wizards? Right. If, 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 if that can't escape criticism, then maybe Harry Potter is about lightsabers and lasers. Well, and, I, you know. and what they're really saying is the truth is there is no truth. Absolutely. But there's still truth. Yeah, the only heresy is heresy itself, exactly, right? right? Yeah, 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 and and, and we see this, yeah, the, or it's wrong to say there's right and wrong. Exactly, you know, exactly. So. And, and one of the main reasons we wanted to discuss this in a two-part series, and we could of course spend ten episodes on this, um, is because this this manifests itself in, in in religious pluralism in the church, where you'll have many confessing Christians today, uh, Christians in parentheses that say that there's more than one way to God. Mm-hmm. There's more than one way to achieve eternal life um, outside of Scripture, outside of the way, the truth, and the life, Christ Jesus. And so we want to be equipped to know why these things happened, to know where we are today, and how to approach these conversations with postmodernists well. Um, So Wayne, why don't you give us a little background on the history of maybe the Enlightenment and how we've kind of gotten to be in such an individualistic day and age? Well, I I do think the Enlightenment, which was a period from the probably roughly— 1600 to 1800 uh, that uh, we're still uh, we're still in kind of a post enlightenment age that that period was a uh, you know another name for the enlightenment is the age of reason and uh, the idea is that uh, reason was everything yeah reason's god that, so uh, and so you ha- you had these uh, you know philosophers and like John Locke and Voltaire and uh, Benjamin Franklin mm. Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, uh, you had these, uh, you know, thought leaders, as we would call them today. Mm-hmm. You had these thought influencers. leaders. Influencers. <laughs> influencers, exactly, uh, that uh, really felt like reason Reason was everything. And they would, they would, they would uh, put that in opposition to faith or dogma. And so... So there was this 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 long history uh, where the influencers uh, would say that um, uh, you know it's all about reason, and if you can reason, you can achieve happiness. Mm. And it's, it's interesting the Declaration of Independence, mm. you know, life, you know, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, but if you could reason, you could you could uh, uh, you, you could pursue happiness. You could have perfection. And um, of course, we know that's not true, but but that was their um, that was their their idea. So the idea is man's basically good. So, so it really took away the idea of original sin, mm. and um, um, <clears throat> the Enlightenment, you know, for several hundred years. And after the Enlightenment, in the Enlightenment, in fact, one thing that happened: you had the French Revolution, uh, it changed everything, which changed everything. And the French Revolution showed that you you could uh, reason. You know, these were very rational, reasonable people in a way, but it was chaos. And uh, so there was a reaction to that. And that's when we got to a period of what, you know, what historians would call romanticism. Uh, and they, you know, the romantics, and you, you see a lot of this with the poets, Wordsworth and Shelley and uh, Lord Byron, and those people. The, the romantics would say, it's not, it's not about reason, it's about feelings. Mm-hmm. And so feelings are everything. Uh, they still... They still believe man is basically good, and uh, but feelings were what 
is really what counted. And how dangerous to believe that man is good. That's right. And then to say that feelings are everything. Yes, exactly. And, you know, for, for our listeners um, in the U.S., you know, probably a lot of us studied uh, Thoreau, uh, Emerson, those guys. Uh, they were leading, they were leading ro- American romantics. Uh, and so for the romantics, uh, so we went from it was – we went from it's all about reason, and man is good, so man intellectually can do these things, to, well, no, it's not about reason, it's about our feelings, but man is still basically good. Uh, and the Romantics really reacted somewhat against the Industrial Revolution and, and the things that were happening. Uh, there's so much social change in, uh, in the Industrial Revolution. Um, and kind of in reaction to the romantics and you, you really got into the modern era and you got people like, uh, you know, Marx and Nietzsche and, uh, uh, those people who, who really, uh, uh, became, they, they still thought man was good, but they, 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 they were more, uh, so they were still, they thought man was good. They were more focused on man internally. Mm-hmm. Though. So, so someone like Freud, he, who would, uh, uh, believe that you know that to really know man, you, you just you had to look within. You had to look within man, you know, to to really uh, understand man. But it's, so really, kind of building on the romantics, it was still feelings, but uh, 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 but it was a it was it was a different kind of uh, you know, it was different kind of feelings. It was it was, uh, but still very very individualistic, uh, very focused on self. Mm, yeah, absolutely, and. And then from there, you kind of see the mainstream of thought turning to science and the world of modernism. That's right. Where you kind of had the two schools of thought, and you see this in the split of the Presbyterian Church and Princeton Seminary to Westminster Seminary, where you had the group of fundamentalists led by Machen and then the group of uh, of really modernists who we would just kind of call, you know, broadly theologically liberal. Um, and, and one thing the church did when all this was going on, the church— uh, and not all the church, but the church wanted to fit into culture. Yeah, absolutely. And so, one of the things that the the broader church did, uh, let's take with Darwin and evolution. You had all these science things. Uh, the church wanted to fit with the culture. They did not want to be countercultural. And so, uh, and a lot of this arose in the church really through uh, German. Theologians, but but uh, but you had the you had a lot of the seminaries and theologians saying they were embarrassed in their in their minds because they were going against science, mm. and so they they would say, well, the Bible, you know, the Bible has good, um, you know, it's a good guide, good morals, for, good moral values, good guidebook for life, and Jesus, uh, Jesus is a moral example for us, and they were trying to fit what Christianity is and what the Bible says into their culture. Mm-hmm. and They were bringing their presuppositions to the table instead right. of letting the Bible speak first. That's so, right. Yeah. And letting the Bible be authoritative yeah, and speak absolutely. first. You yeah. know? And so, the main things they had issues with were things like the virgin birth and that's right. anything supernatural really that's is right. really where they, they lost it. That's right. And once again, and, and some of those, some of those, uh, some of those uh, theologians, some, some of them were believers, I think, you know, but they, they were really motivated to make sure that the church was not uh, viewed with disdain, that the church was 
relevant to the culture. And you know, and to me, we we see the same thing today. Yeah, you know, the absolutely. Church, the church, you know, we 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 want to be relevant to the culture, and we want to fit into the culture, and uh, whatever the current things are, uh, we want to be. You know, we want to. Uh, we want to be accepted, and and I think that's always always the danger for the church. Yeah, God does not invite us to speculate about Him. That's right. To try to fit Him into what the world says and does. Uh, the world changes, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. That's right. So, you know, getting to where we are now, in, in terms of transitioning from really a modern point of view, a scientific point of view, to now a postmodern point of view. We have a couple things underlying that culture still holds that man is naturally good. Mm-hmm that feelings are everything, that science has more authority than the Bible. All these things still hold true today. The thing that's different now is that postmodernism denies even science. Postmodernism says that even science can't necessarily be proven by science because science changes. And honestly, postmodernism is kind of right. There's a lot of scientific theories that have changed over the years that were dogma 300 years ago that would be laughed at now, of course. And the same holds true with with fashion. The same holds true with how people cut their hair. The world changes. And so if we try to change Scripture with the world, then we will always end up in, in a theological circle, confused and relative, which kind That's of right. brings us back to the point today, which is postmodernism and relativity. So I want to read a quote by D.A. Carson that kind of sums up where we're going to take the rest of this discussion. Moral relativism rules the field of postmodern ethics. The laws seen as socially constructed and needlessly oppressive instruments of subjugation. In many law schools, a movement known as critical legal theory claims that laws generally reveal hidden claims of manipulative power that should be deconstructed for the betterment of all humankind. And continuing off of that same stream of thought, Carl F.H. Henry said before even Carson said that, um, a very sobering quote, and I'll read it, no fact of contemporary Western life is more evident than its growing distrust of final truth. And Carl F. H. Henry may have been the greatest, you know, evangelical scholar in the last 50, 60 years, and he saw this coming uh, strongly. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote an amazing book called The Gagging of God in 1999, which also, in a way, prophesied what we're seeing now. Um, The difference in that and how it was in 1999, it was it was largely construed to academic and university circles. Right. It was largely construed to English departments, literature departments, gender studies, um, critical theory in terms of higher education. But it wasn't necessarily taken by the culture at large to be something that was true. Now that has changed where basically any conversation you have, whether it's even with a Christian about theology, whether it's with a skeptic about Christianity – whether it's about a conservative or a liberal about politics, there is no convincing, there is no debating. There are only feelings and personal attacks, it seems. I mean, this manifests itself in Washington every single day. No one cares about facts. Uh, No one cares about truth because a lot of the people don't believe that there is truth. Um, And that's sad. You know, the art of the debate has basically disappeared not only from the church, but from the world. And this is a lot of this is due, like you said, to the general softening of society, the softening of, of people, like you said, but also because of this postmodernism that we're looking at today. But if you if you think about it, you know, once again, you're going back to the garden, uh, you know, Satan said, you know, did God really say? And it all goes back to who's the authority mm-hmm. and and uh, 
and we live in a culture that says that we individually are the authorities. You know, uh, you know that we're basically good. We get to, we get to decide what's right and wrong. Uh, what may be right for you may be wrong for, for uh, to me. Yeah. And uh, and who's to say and who's, what's right? Who's to say what's right and wrong? So so we've we you know we've really we've we're in a logical place uh, from hundreds of years of a culture that was really predicated, you know, Western culture was really predicated on, on the scripture and Christianity. But for hundreds of years, we've moved away from that. And so that's where we are today. And so, so we're, in a, we're in a situation where, you know, we can't even tell you the gender of a person. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley Fish is a, is a main postmodern thinker, um, if we can call it that. Uh, and he says something that, that is really scary, uh, and this is one of the main thinkers behind this movement. He says that there is no truth in the world to be discovered. Instead, truth is determined by the community and what they deem truth for themselves. So in this case, truth becomes a, truth becomes a construction. You're not setting out to discover the truth of anything. We're not setting out to discover the truth of God's word. We're constructing a truth based off of a feeling or a narrative mm-hmm. that we want to build. Well, and it's internal. It's internal. It's, it's not external. It's internal. And, and like you said, I think you hit it on the head at the very beginning. This all stems from the fact that man is good. Right. And that is the scariest part because the Bible says that man is naturally deceitfully right. wicked, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and if, if truth is left to men and women who are dead in their trespasses and sins— what, what what will there be? Right, and you know, as a Christian, we have to say that Jesus says, "You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life," mm-hmm. and uh, and so we know what truth is. Yeah, yeah. The way you know, the main line I'd say right now as we're recording this podcast in, in April twenty twenty one, the main way that we're seeing this the postmodernism played out is in social science. It's in sociology. And there's even many reformed leaders today who would say that the Bible is not enough mm-hmm. to, to combat these issues such as racism or gender, that, that, that we need to bring in sociology before we bring in Scripture. And, Wayne, I don't know about you, but it sounds really similar to what the German liberals were saying oh, yeah, it's the same 150 thing. years ago, yeah. uh, that we have to bring in what's valid in the culture we, now. We want the we, church to be relevant and accepted by the culture. Yeah, you know? I, I read a, a quote from a from a politician. I don't want to say political names on this podcast, but basically, this U.S. politician was saying that authorial intent is actually oppression. That facts themselves are actually oppression. And so, if you start talking about oppressor and oppression, I think you can kind of put two and two together and realize that this is just Mar- Marxist social construction. Mm-hmm. This is just a form of. Marxism taking its place in the thought world. And postmodernism is inevitably tied to neo-Marxism at its core. Right. Uh, it manifests itself academically. It manifests itself socially. It manifests itself in how we see economics, anything. But, but I think as Christians, we, do, we don't need to be discouraged. Absolutely. You know? And uh, I think a lot of Christians are fearful. Uh, we don't need to be fearful. We, you know, our God reigns, and as as Christians, we have the truth. And uh, what we do need to be wise about, though, is to not be uh, influenced by the culture uh, in ways that, that go against uh, 
what Christ says. And so, uh, you know, once again, as Christians, we need to um, have every confidence that we know the truth. Uh, the whole world will know the truth and one day. And that truth exists. Truth exists, and the whole world will know it one day. And um, so we just uh, uh, want to make sure in, in, our, in our families, in our churches, with our friends, that we uh, represent truth yep. and, and uh, in a winsome way. Uh, but uh, but we know truth, and and uh, uh, and it starts with uh, knowing the Word of God, and Absolutely. that's that's uh, uh, that's that's where we have to start. A strong doctrine of Scripture, a, a high view of God's Word, is a shield against all of this right. that we've talked about. It's a shield against the Enlightenment. It's a shield against romantic romanticism, thought of yeah. feelings, and it's, it's a shield. It's a shield against any type of. Uh, critical th- scientific thought that would say there's no way that the virgin birth happened. It's a shield against these social constructs that we see now trying to displace. Right, and, and it was a shield against the Greco-Roman Empire. Absolutely. You know, so it's, it hadn't changed. Yep, God, God is sovereign, and he not only knew about uh, things like critical race theory and postmodernism before the world existed, he ordained it. Right. Uh, God is totally sovereign, and we believe that, and we know that for a fact because Scripture says it, and we hold Scripture as we hold Scripture as God's word, as God's spoken authoritative word. So we're going to finish up these last couple of minutes in this podcast talking about the Bible and talking about how this must be our starting point and our ending point for all worldviews, for all ways to see, uh, for all ways to, to combat these things that we're talking about. So first off, we have to say that no one can read Scripture. And, and and see that the Bible is a, does not demand a response. The Bible demands a response. The gospel demands a response. Christ himself says, repent and believe. It's one of the first things it says, repent and believe. There can be no response, of course, as there is no true meaning to the text. So we cannot warp our theology to make God follow after us, but we must follow after him. And so to do that, we search his word. So Wayne, why don't you kind of tell us how you approach God's word day to day? Well, I think we... We start out by understanding, uh, uh, once again, that uh, God is God. Uh, and when Satan says, uh, you know, did God say, our, our answer is, well, yes, he says. It's in his word. And um, so I think we start out with the idea that uh, we're to uh, learn from Scripture. And we're the student. We're not the teacher. Uh it's not about our feelings. Going back to what I said earlier about the culture we live in today, it's not just about our feelings. It's not about my personal views of whether I like something or not. It's about what God says. And I think, um, you know, once again, as, as Christians, if we believe Jesus is the Son of God, if we believe He is who He says He is, He believed, He made it clear that He believes in the Scriptures. You know, he he, took, he referred to the Old Testament. The he referred the to Jonah. He referred to Jonah. He refers to Abraham, Noah, uh, many many of the people in the Old Testament. Uh, when he would argue with the Pharisees, he would often say, uh, "As it is written," and quote scripture. Uh, so, if you if you are a follower of him, you are a follower of the Word, and yeah. I think that's how we have to approach scripture. Yeah. Yeah, not only do we believe that Scripture is true, but we believe it's sufficient for all matters in, in life and godliness. Right. And this goes to every single issue that we'll talk about in Crossroads. Right. We will always come back to the point that the Bible is sufficient to combat whatever culture is throwing right. at us. It is sufficient to guide 
the believers in Jesus Christ, the Church of Jesus. There's a great book uh, called Taking God at His Word uh, by Kevin DeYoung uh, that, uh, for those who are listening, uh, if you want to know more about Scripture and its authority, I, I, I would highly recommend it. It's yeah, a great book. It's a great book. I recommend it to college students all the time. Yeah, it's a great book. And, you know, there's different ways to approach God's Word. There's different ways to know God's Word. Um, there's different ways to memorize. You can do flashcards. You can do whatever you want. But the, the main thing that we must come back to as the church is that this is truth, that in a world that says there is no truth, that this God's revealed Word that He wrote through the inspiration of human authors is true. It is without error. It is perfect. There are things about morality in Scripture that seem hostile to the culture around us, and they are true. Uh, there's no questioning God. Who, who, is the, who, who are you, Clay, to question the potter? How Philosophically, how can we look at, at, at a God who is atemporal, who is outside of time, and tell him what's right and wrong? Who are we to do something like that? And that at the core is what you know, postmodern Christians, if there is such a thing, do. They, they, they bring their presuppositions of culture to the table when we must lay those things aside, however difficult it is almost impossible at times without the Holy Spirit's help to lay our presuppositions aside and let God's Word teach us, form us, and shape us. So I do want to close this out with a verse from Matthew. Uh, What better way to end this than from Christ himself? So this is Matthew 7, starting at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been on the it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So Wayne, let's finish this up. Let's build our house on the rock. Christ prays, and anyone else who may be listening to this, please do not build your house on sand. Please do not build your house on the culture. Please build your house on God's Word. It cannot fail. It will not fail. Christ has already won, and He will continue to bring all things to Himself. So for Wayne Alderman, I'm Josh Anders. Thanks for listening. <laughs>